You have found the podcast of Trustler Mennonite Church. Each week we replay the sermon from our Sunday morning service so that anyone who may have missed the sermon can catch it later. This sermon was from December 5th, 2021. The opening scripture was read by Jerry Schrock. The sermon text was Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And you may have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Yeah, a couple weeks ago, Joel had to fill in on me on very short notice. So when, when he learned he wasn't going to be here, it seemed only right to jump in. But also by, I guess by God's grace, I had known what my schedule was going to be and had worked further ahead than I usually do. They tease me about being more prepared, but I do not usually have everything ready a week in advance. But I was mostly there. Um, I had to refine and, and, and rethink a little bit. But So I said, well, I'll do what I've thought about. And that means we're getting these passages out of order. I don't think it'll be matter too much, as I'll, I'll talk about a little bit. But what we're going to do today is kind of a parenthetical statement in Paul's mind. And I think as such, we can jam it in somewhere else and it will still, it'll still work really well. So you heard Jerry read the passage. You can, you can tell that Paul is praying for the people who are going to be reading his letter, this letter that he wrote to, to Ephesus. And he prays that they're going to be empowered by the Spirit. That's verse 16. He prays that they will understand and experience God's love, 18 and 19. And then he prays that they will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And I found this to be a very beautiful prayer. I agree with Jerry. But as I was thinking about this and reading Ephesians and preparing for sermons and other sections of Ephesians, I decided that I find it even more beautiful when I look at it in kind of the bigger context of Paul's letter. Why did he pray or write this prayer in this part of his letter? And I know that when, when a preacher says, well, you need to know the context, that's usually a sign that you can take a nap for a while. But I was thinking, some of you are old enough to remember Paul Harvey and his rest of the stories. Some of you are not, but they are, some of them, on YouTube, for those of you who are too young to to know this. But the whole point of the rest of the story was context. So he would talk about something, and then you would realize the context of what was going on, and Google it, you'll find out. But for those of you who are older, you will understand context matters, and context makes things more meaningful than it would otherwise. 
So Paul starts, he starts verse 14 here by saying, when I think of all this. So Paul prays this prayer in light of what he has just been talking about, what he's been writing about in his letter. But, but this is not the first part of chapter 3 that he's thinking about, I'm pretty sure. I think he's actually talking about ideas from chapter 2. And the reason I say that is that the first part of chapter 3, verse 1, also begins... When I think of all this, and your translation might vary, but pretty much every translation I looked at, there's some uh, symbol or whatever in the end of verse 1 to say that the translators believe Paul broke off his thought there and started off on a side note. So he seems to me to have started verse 1 of chapter, four, of chapter 3, verse 1 of chapter 3, saying, when I think of all of this, then got off on a side trail, picks it up in verse 14. Okay, when I think of all of this, and then he goes on and he prays this prayer. So I think if we want to understand what he's got in his mind, we need to remember what's from chapter 2, and also then what he's going to say next as he goes into chapters 4 and 5 and 6. And so I thought, you know, in light of the Paul Harvey reference, let's start with a story to try to capture this, because for a while my head was still trying to spin around, and then this story came into my mind that might at least help you understand the context of what Paul is doing here. So imagine it's a Thanksgiving day, and a mother and father have six children, three sons and three daughters, and they're all adopted children. And they were adopted at different ages. A couple of them were adopted as infants. Some of them were adopted in their early teens, and then some were adopted when they were in elementary school. And not only were they adopted at different ages, but all at different times. And so here on this Thanksgiving day in question, this family has six children from about 3 to 20, all entered the home at different ages at different times, and have been living within the family for different lengths of time. So... On this particular Thanksgiving day, the mother and the father make a deliberate and intentional choice to sit down with each child individually, at least at some point in that morning, to say, you are my child, to emphasize how they chose this child, they adopted this child, and this child is now a full child of the family uh, with all of the rights and responsibilities and inheritance of a child. So their background doesn't matter anymore. They are now children of this couple in this family. The focus of these conversations is to say, you are my child. So if you've been thinking and reading Ephesians, maybe you will notice that this is essentially what Paul is saying in the first part of chapter 2. At the start of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul's writing about how we were each adopted and rescued by God. You might remember this verse to Try to summarize it, and let me move on. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So God rescued each of us, pulled us into his family, but he didn't pull us in as servants to sweep the floor and keep his place neat for him. We were seated with Christ, or the metaphor that's sometimes used is we become children of God. And Paul stresses there in that section that this is not something that we did. This is something God did for us. We were totally and utterly separated from God. And so the metaphor that Paul uses is dead. We were dead. 
So in the movies, at least in some movies, there's a difference between mostly dead and all dead. Because mostly dead might be slightly alive, but we were all dead. There was no hope. Or at least, there's no hope apart from Jesus Christ. Because Paul says that Jesus, that God reached out through the work of Jesus and rescued us even though we were all dead. And God made us part of his family. So back to that story of the father and the mother. The first thing they do on that Thanksgiving morning is to emphasize that each of these children is their own child fully, completely, and totally a part of the family. But then after that conversation, they get to the the Thanksgiving dinner, the mealtime, and the father and mother are there, and all six of their children are sitting around the table, and now they sort of shift their tone, and they say, each one of you is my child, but that means you're all part of the same family. You are all a family with each other. So you might be different ages. You might have been part of this family for different lengths of time. You might have different skin colors. You might like different kinds of music. But none of that matters because you are all part of the same family now. You're part of this family. And if if you're following the pattern, you see how I'm I'm working this here or trying to. I'm talking about the second half of chapter 2 in Ephesians. So in this part, Paul talks about how the old differences are set aside now and we are united as a new entity through Jesus. So Paul's writing about Jews and Gentiles when he's writing this. I think this same principle applies to lots of differences that we might encounter in life, that when we become a part of the family of God, those differences are no longer a source of division. So you might remember this verse from Ephesians 2. He says, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people, when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. So through Jesus, God made people from different backgrounds all become one new family. They formerly were hostile to one another, but now they are all united in Jesus. So another, another verse from there. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. And if, if you wonder why I often use the metaphor of a family, well, Paul did. So it seems to be a safe metaphor to use. So in my adoption story, there, there once were children from all sorts of different families and all sorts of different backgrounds who didn't know one another, now they do. They're all part of the same, same family, united together. So, so in, my, in my metaphor, the father and the mother, they start by emphasizing to each child that you are my child. Then they say to everybody, you are now a family. That's chapter 2. And chapter 4 is when the father says, okay, now that you're a family, you're going to have to act like it. And here are some instructions that I have for you. So that's where we get to in chapter 4. He says... For example, he says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. And Paul gives very practical instructions. He says, you're going to have differences between people, but you're all part of the same family. He writes about the importance of honesty. He writes about the importance of caring for one another. He writes about the importance of sexual purity. And that 
that I find makes, works uh, really well with this family metaphor. There's nothing that really wrecks a family like sexual abuse within the family, and there's nothing that wrecks a Christian family or a church family like sexual abuse within that. So Paul writes about mutual submission. He writes about people from different aspects of life who are now going to have to relate to one another, spouses, parents and children, bosses and workers. He gives a lot of practical instruction so it's like the father in the metaphor saying, you are all now part of the same family. Here are my instructions about how you live like it. So then what about chapter 3? It's kind of in the middle here. I went from chapter 2 to chapter 4. What's going on? But I think that's what makes this passage so beautiful. As I said, at that, this is the first part of chapter 3 is sort of like a parenthetical statement. It's like the father sitting down. He talks about the importance of you are all one family now. You need to be united. And he thinks about how incredibly beautiful this is. And instead of being able to continue with his speech, he kind of breaks off. He gets really emotional. And he says how incredibly grateful he is to have been given the blessing and the honor of being a father and adopting these children and becoming their parent, part of their family. That's my view of what's happening in the first part of chapter 3 that we will talk more about later. But one, one verse to kind of capture it, he says, Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. So it's, it's oversimplified. We'll get to this chapter, the first part of this chapter in more detail. But, but it's this idea that the father, and the metaphor of the father, he's talking about how they... Wonderful it is to be part of the family, and he just breaks down, and he just talks about how grateful he is to be in this place before he continues with his planned speech of how they need to live. But, but then he stops again, and he says, you know, before I tell them about how I want them to live, I'm going to need to pray for them, because this is going to be hard. It's not easy to live as a united family, and it's not easy for the body of Christ to live in unity either. So Paul has been talking about this. He gets ready to give instruction about it, and he pauses for a moment. He says, I need to pray for you because this is going to be hard. But also in that prayer, he says, and remember who we're praying to, and we'll get there. So I want to I go through this passage. It's fairly short. It'll go fairly fast. You're looking at the clock thinking, that's a long introduction. But the context is important It'll go quickly. Then I want to glance very fast at where Paul's going, and then I want to pray for us in the way that Paul prayed for this congregation. So Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 16, he says, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with the inner strength through his spirit. So as Paul is reflecting on all of this and as Paul is getting ready to give them these instructions that are going to be challenging and important as they live out what it means to be followers of Jesus, he says, remember who we are asking for assistance. The unlimited resources from our Father, the creator of everything in heaven on earth. So when we pray, we are talking to a God with power who is capable of of helping us. So as we look to situations that are going to be difficult, remember to whom we pray. Then it says, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you 
strong. So Paul points us to this idea that our strength comes from God's love. That it strikes me at first glance, it's a little unusual to think about it that way, but that's what he says. And so if our strength is inadequate to live as we know we ought to, we should dive deeper into God's love. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. He continues on similar vein here. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So as we understand God's love and as we experience God's love, Paul says that's when we begin to live as we ought to live, become more and more like who God wants us to be, a life with all the fullness and power that comes from God. So Paul closes his prayer by then praising God. He says, now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. So when we look around and we see a church that's divided by geography and race and economics and political parties and denominations and theological perspectives and different convictions and national boundaries and ethnic practices, when we see all of this kind of division, it's easy to get hopeless. But remember, all glory to God who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. We often quote this verse a lot in church, and I think now maybe I feel like I understand its context a little bit better. So at this point in his letter, Paul, Paul moves from here into the, some application. We're going to get there in due time. He calls us to humility and gentleness and submission, honesty and purity, generosity, He dives into some specific human relationships where there's sometimes challenges and he gives advice. We're going to get there in January sometime. Current schedule keeps changing, so I make no predictions. But we'll get there at some point because we do have a break for Christmas coming up. So over this time, several weeks or more, I'd like you to think about that metaphor of the father and the mother on that fictional Thanksgiving day. They remind each child that they chose that child, they adopted that child, and now that child has full rights as a child in that family. And then this parent speak to all the children together, say, since you are all adopted and you are all part of our family, now you need to be one. We're one new family where there used to be multiple families. And now you need to begin to relate to each other. And that's not going to be easy, so the father begins to give some advice about what he believes will be helpful to these children as they try to relate to each other. And that's kind of a, a brief summary of some of the main, of a main theme in the book of Ephesians, except for our passage today, that, that before the father starts giving this advice, he prays for his family. And so this morning, as I, as I wind down this passage, what I intended to do and what I'm going to do, even though the order is a little different these weeks, I want to pray this prayer for us, modeled with the words that Paul used, so that as we get ready for 
the rest of the book that's coming, we have been prepared with the prayer that Paul has written. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, the one who created and sustains both the heavens and the earth, I pray that you will fill us with your power through your spirit so we may live as you want us to live. And Lord Jesus, please fill our hearts with your presence. Root us in God's amazing love and strengthen us. And Lord Jesus, please, as we seek to be one body, truly united as you want, please help us to glimpse the fullness and the greatness of your love. Please overwhelm us with your love so that it begins to flow through us to the others around us. And please give us the strength and the power of your spirit so that we can live as you want us to live. And now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. You have been listening to the Trustler Mennonite Sermon from December 5th, 2021. The passage was from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Take care.